1: Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox podcast with Tanny and Herb.
0: Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. I got your name right that time, Chris. That's
1: right. I had to uh, clean it up there and post. But Herb didn't. Re- he couldn't remember my name. <laughs> the silly goose. Uh, it has <laughs> been a while since we've posted uh, an episode. We've been off for a few days. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving?
0: it was great um not great for the first place i went to um paid some money we thought we've been to this place before and we we're like okay here Uh-oh. we go this is going to be a quality <laughs> meal for thanksgiving we're not you know ready to cook a meal by ourselves yet so let's just do this and no the line was long it was unruly the person giving us the food was messed up they forgot two of our items, which were the biggest items, the pies, you know, we wanted to have some, she wanted to have pumpkin pie. I wanted to have some pecan pie and they forgot it all. And so I eventually had to go out to my mom's house, which I was planning anyways, got myself a plate, maxed that. My uh, niece made a plate, maxed that like three days later, had some leftovers. I think I still got some like gooey cake, gooey butter cake my mom left me with. But uh, yeah, food was great. People were great that I had to be. I see my sister's, most of them, except for my my other sister Kamika, I did not see. But I saw the rest of my family pretty much. It was all good. I haven't seen them in a minute. So Thanksgiving is a good time to see your people. And Courtney and I had a great one. Oh, that's what good. About yourself? That's
1: good to hear. I'll tell you. You know, you could have avoided that problem. Get yourself a Costco membership. I got a pumpkin pie mm. and a pecan pie uh, for for south of twenty bucks, I believe. And they're they're huge. Wait, wait, wait,
0: wait. Each? <laughs>
1: no, uh, total. South?
0: together Yes.
1: Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah man they're like
0: 30 hours in those pies yeah too.
1: they're they're huge so yeah that's that uh, they're very good i was actually still uh maxing off those as we speak uh just before the pot i was having a little pumpkin pie uh yeah mm-hmm. so that's uh you know I have a little pecan pie in the morning uh, with your coffee oh there's nothing better folks um mm-hmm. but yeah i had a nice thanksgiving as well just had my parents over here and we were efforting a, a restaurant to uh, cater, not cater, but cook our meal, give us a turkey and maybe a couple sides or whatever. And you know, up at the zero hour, I could not find any place uh, that that had any turkeys available. So mm-hmm. you know, I was scrambling. And on Monday morning, I was in the Jewel parking lot waiting on one last potential lead on uh, on a bird and uh, came up short. So I went in the Jewel and got a turkey and. Wife cooked up the turkey and I made a few sides and uh, you know it it wasn't that bad. So you know as far as putting the work in and it tasted great. So but I gotta tell you, I've had it. I'm sick of the turkey. (laughs) Enough of it already. (laughs) I'm
0: done with it. I've never been a big (laughs) fan of turkey. No, it's either I mean it's either too dry or just flavorless. I it's too much work for. The payoff eventually. So, yeah, if we can just not do turkey anymore, I know Mm -hmm. it has traditions and stuff, but every single Thanksgiving, I get a little bit turkey because that's what I haven't had in a year. And then I'm like, oh, God, I remember why I don't really like turkey. It's good. You'll make sandwiches the next day. Cool. Awesome. But extra stuff needs to be added to this thing that you cook for hours already. So, What the hell?
1: What about sandwiches for four days? We've been eating turkey sandwiches for four days. So
0: Yeah, like enough. enough. Yes. Yeah, can we just have a better protein than turkey? I mean, and save those things. I mean, they're useless, flightless birds. Get them out of my life. And also, every single goddamn year, (laughs) somebody brings up the damn WKRP thing, because there's a person in there called Herb, and there's another person, <laughs> Les Nesman, that throws a goddamn turkey outside the window. Blah, blah, blah. I swear, I thought turkeys gonna fly. Whatever. Some guys that driving right now, it's not the line. I know the line. It's dumb. I hate it. I hate WKRP in Cincinnati. It's not real radio life.
1: So you're 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 near forty years old, um, right? Past forty, I'm old. Forty two. Okay. Oh, you're oh yeah, your Jackie Robinson birthday. So for most of your life, you've had to deal with WKRP and Cincinnati jokes on Thanksgiving.
0: Yes, and also <laughs> every day of my life, people rhyming sherbert, people <laughs> talking about the goddamn car. The love bug. Oh, know. God. What a... Well, if you're really old, you remember the Burger King guy, the nerd Herb at the uh, – you're supposed to find Herb at Burger King. <laughs> I do. Very few people will know that one, get that reference. If you got that, send it into our next Mailbag Monday if you remember uh, finding the nerd Herb at uh, at uh, Burger King. But nowadays, the kids have turned my name into – uh, terrible noun or verb. I think it's like what a herb. It's like ah oh, damn, yeah. It's tough.
1: And growing up, a uh, you know a fan of uh, hip hop culture, like uh, that must have not have been good in your formative years. When all of a sudden herb, it was right around the time I guess you were in high school when that became like a thing. Calling someone yeah. a herb, like that can't be good. You know all this time, you know we're trying to trying to uh, you know come to a, a, a mutual understanding here, trying to see what it's like living uh, as a black man in America. You know listening to your shared experiences, but most of the time it sounds like it's even worse. Worse, just be, for the name Herb and the jokes that uh, come along with it.
0: People <laughs> act like I named myself Herb. I was like, I had no choice in that matter. It's like, I don't get mad at people. Like, I get mad at the people who name their, their kids Kirsten because that's a dumb name. And those girls are always have the attitude. And it's like, it's Kirsten instead of when you saw her, Kristen, inevitably. And they always have that attitude. It's like, I didn't name you that dumbass name. Same thing. I didn't name myself Herb. I will not name my kid Herb. Because I know all the ridicule that comes with it, but I uh, I think I do the herb thing pretty well. So, hopefully, when I die, being a herb is not so bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you are the most. I think you've got to be the most famous herb. Uh, I think in my world, certainly. Um, uh, I mean, as you
0: know, Herb Albert.
1: Yeah, and the, and the Tijuana Brass, uh, yeah, Her, Herb Kent, uh, yeah, so I don't...
0: Certainly but, not with us.
1: Yeah, exactly, so I'm saying, like, the living Herbs, you're right up there, my friend, so congratulations. Yeah, Herb Dean,
0: the boxing referee.
1: Okay, and yeah. Main, yeah, n- yeah uh, you're, you're really uh, making a name for yourself here as, as Herb, as, as the popular Herb, so congratulations to you. Um, but uh, people are like, what the hell is this? Are they even going to talk about the White Sox here in this No, we're episode? not, guys, sorry, bye. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to gab away with Herb today at work because... Because uh, you know, I was busy on a, on a Bears Monday with with my thing, and Herb was busy with Lawrence Home Show, so I didn't get a chance to, to gab away with uh, my friend Herb here about Thanksgiving. So now that I know about the WKRP in Cincinnati stuff, I'll be I'll be extra sensitive uh, next time uh, when I. <laughs> Cause you know, I love that show. Um, but yeah, so it's Mailbag Monday. Welcome. Congratulations, guys. You made it through Monday. It's a little later than normal, but as you said, uh, we're, we're busy today at work. So uh, we were watching the Bears game last night, regrettably. So you, that's usually when we record the episodes. But we got a, uh, another fun week in store. A very exciting week with the uh, contract tenders going on and the chicken tenders, uh, anything like that. And uh, at the end of the week, I'm looking forward to it. It looks like we're going to have a conversation with our friend Joe Cowley. Who of course covers the Bulls for the Sun Times and does a great job doing so. But Joe Cowley covered the White Sox for many years for the Sun Times, and he covered the Sox during the the good years, uh, during the Mark Burley years. So we're going to talk to Joe Cowley about why he checked the box for Mark Burley for his Hall of Fame vote, and I'm looking forward to that. You know, quick you know a quick explanation of why he believes Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer, but more so for the stories about covering the team for those years, the Ozzie Gee and White Sox. I'm looking forward to it so much. Joe is... One of the great people uh, in in our business, and I haven't talked to him in a while, so I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be probably early next week, so I'm looking forward to that. We have to find out. Uh, they keep pushing the Steelers games around, so like we have to make sure <laughs> we're not recording during a Steelers game. So like with all the COVID stuff in the NFL, who knows? I think there'll just be a Steelers game on every day, every day, and Joe yes. <laughs> Joe would be content with that. I think so. Be like the standard
0: is the standard. <laughs> when-
1: <laughs> exactly. So I'm looking forward to that very much. Uh, we'll have another mailback episode tomorrow. Talk to us Tuesday, especially at this rate, we're about 10 minutes in and we haven't gotten to one White Sox thing yet, but uh, this episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever, and somehow, someway, Built Bar is coming up with Funky Fly flavors like every single day, and the new and improved Built Bar is even deliciouser. They've got 18 amazing flavors, which you know and love, including nut and non-nut flavors, but they've got six brand new flavors for you guys to check out. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, lemon almond cheesecake, and cherry barcia, not to mention those 12 original flavors that you've heard me talk about for so long on the Lockdown White Sox podcast. My favorite, of course, being the German chocolate. You've got peanut butter, banana bread. Built Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, and they're good for you. I know a lot of you guys probably you know messing around with a little bit of that pumpkin pie too much out there. You know, still kicking around, uh, like I mentioned earlier. Still got it in your fridge. You're snacking on it. You shouldn't be doing that. Make better choices, and you can definitely do that with Built Bar because they are low calorie, low sugar, and high in protein and fiber. And right now. Built Bar is offering a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. So just do this. Go to BiltBar.com. Use our promo code on. You'll get 20% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BiltBar.com. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. All right, Herbie. Episode number 79. We're flying through these things. And, of course, that leaves us with no other option than our guy, MVPto, Jose Abreu. We, we basically did our uh, our... Love letter to Jose Abreu a couple weeks ago when he won MVP, but just, you know, obviously, you know, an all-time great first baseman in franchise history, and you're wondering, oh, he's not all that great, you know, not a World Series hero yet, uh, but a three-time All-Star, the 2020 MVP, Rookie of the Year, three-time Silver Slugger Award winner, he's accumulated a a war through his career of 23.7, and you're wondering... Paul Canerco uh, had 28 even uh, war, according to Baseball Reference. So he's going to surpass Paul Canerco in terms of career war. So think about that. Uh, put that in your pipe and smoke it all you uh, Jose Abreu haters out there. I don't know if there's any Jose Abreu haters, but when I say he's an all-time great at the position for the franchise, he is. And he'll have a statue out there one of these days. He's He's got his ring for the cycle, uh, you know, and he's got his MVP award, which Paul Canerco never did. And I'm not here to trash Paul Canerco by any means, but just uh, talking about the greatness of Jose Abreu. And uh, here we are, episode 79.
0: Yeah, he's a great, great uh, White Sox already, like you said, uh, seven years in, I believe. This is his seventh year coming up, and Jose Abreu is already doing stuff. I think by the time he does finish, he will uh, be the second uh, most prolific offensive player in White Sox history, of course, behind Frank Thomas. And that's a huge testament to his thing. And, you know, this, this franchise has been around forever, but there hasn't been a lot of offensive stars that you would think in a hundred plus years. So uh, it's not, you know, A huge thing to get the second place in the White Sox thing, but to get right behind Frank Thomas is a really huge thing because he is one of the best hitters of all time. And I don't know if Jose will be ending up that way, but he will, I think, eventually, you know, uh, for his contributions to, to Cuba, for his contributions to the Major League Baseball, I think he'll end up in Cooperstown himself. Ooh,
1: that's a bold statement right there. Um, but yeah, yeah. You, you talk about his, uh, you know, maybe he'll be going, that'd be crazy to think about it. The career trajectories kind of line up similarly here. Uh, how crazy would it be if Jose Abreu and the North Side's own Anthony Rizzo wind up making the Hall of Fame on the same ballot? Uh, how nutty would that be,
0: Herb? I wouldn't think that Anthony Rizzo would make it because Jose Abreu winning this MVP puts him in that class to, to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, you know, I think their numbers are going to be both great and probably similar numbers, but winning that MVP puts you over the top. It's arbitrary, as it may seem, and the award just being an individual award might seem weird, but, you know, Anthony Rizzo has never been the best player in his league, and Jose Abreu can say that now, so I don't think that Anthony will be that. He's already in his mid-30s, so I don't know. I don't see a peak coming from him in his career. And the same reason I don't put Mark Burley into the Hall of Fame just by himself, because he never was the best pitcher in his era. Now Jose Abreu can say that. And then that goes far away with people who are MVP voters or for people who are Hall of Fame voters. So I would just say that, Anthony, it's not a Cubs Sox thing. But if we look at the numbers and the contribution he did in Cuba, too, Jose Abreu, I think eventually will be a Hall of Famer.
1: All right, fair enough. Uh, just closing thoughts here on Jose Abreu. You know, I think back to his rookie year, and I'll always, uh, re- it'll remind me uh, of that was the year my daughter was born, 2014. So I spent a lot of uh, nights up late. And I remember the Sox that year uh, were in Dodger Stadium. And I remember that was one of the first moments for Jose Abreu. Uh, making his uh, national name for himself. And uh, th- this one fun thing I'll play for you. This is uh, Jose Abreu versus Clayton Kershaw with Vin Scully on the call, one of my favorite baseball things to listen to.
0: And now the big boy from Cuba, and we're not talking about Pui, we're talking about Jose Abreu when he was in Cuba. He had the nickname Pito and a fly ball he didn't get all of it I don't think onto to the track and watching this count I will be gone. he hit it over the left field wall it sounded almost like he cracked the bat I swear in fact I don't know whether the soundtrack can pick it up or not but with the headphones on sitting up here that sound like a cracked bat so for Abreu he has 16 home runs and 44 runs batted in the big man is back
1: that's right. So, yeah, I just thought it was a cool thing that I'll share that I had in my Abreu archives. Because whenever we get to a guy's name, I see, do I have anything fun, sound related to them? And uh, sure enough, that, that's, uh, that's who doesn't like hearing from a little Vin Scully here on a Mailbag Monday episode. And with that said, should we open up the bag?
0: Let's do it.
1: A lot of emails we're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. email, email, email. And we love email, too. We love your email in particular. How can they send us their email for Mailbag Monday and in the offseason? Talk to us Tuesday. What up Wednesday?
0: Send it to LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Our email is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. With your questions, your comments, whatever you want to write us, we will read them all. Not all of them will make the shows. Uh,
1: Most of them do make it, uh, unless people double up. But we like to try to squeeze in. I notice we're getting a lot of newer submissions from uh, different people Uh, So I enjoy that, finding some new voices to to chime in here. And uh, I know we've got some more batshit crazy trade proposals, and we'll get to some in a second. But uh, leading off for us tonight, in Portland, Oregon, it's Robbie. Robbie says, Hey guys, I recently saw Yasiel Puig switch agencies to Luba Sports, which Trevor Bauer is under, which got me thinking about Puig coming to the Sox to play right field. I think he would fit well with the Cuban and Latin players on the roster, but it does seem like anywhere he goes, he attracts drama with fights with the opposing team and sometimes even his own teammates. What do you guys think about him coming to the south side? Hope you guys have a great week. That's from Robbie. Thank you, Robbie. Herb, Yasil Puig. We liked him a lot more. We liked him better than Nomar Mazzara as an option, mm-hmm. and but the Sox were so swift on picking up Mazzara that pretty much, you know, got that out of the way, but then we started to talk ourselves into, oh, maybe he can platoon with Mazar out in right field. So the Sox never uh, you know, got to experience the Puig thing in that regard, but uh, just reiterate your thoughts on Yasiel Puig. Uh, why do you think possibly the Sox never kicked the tires on him? Because it would seem like that would be a perfect fit.
0: I mean, it. the rumored beef between him and Abreu still comes to mind. Um, he would have been a great fit. Uh, now, I think they have bigger fish out there they're going to try to get. I mean, Springer's still out there. We've talked about the other options. Jacques Peterson have been trying to get forever. Uh, Maybe Ozuna. But if we downshift and eventually have to settle on Yasiel Puig because we got the pitcher that we wanted, this is the only way I'll be satisfied. We get a big-name pitcher like Trevor Bauer. We trade for Blake Snell or something like that, Uh, Lance Lynn, and then we downshift to... Uh, subpar or mediocre right fielder. I'll be like, all right, I got it. One of the other, and we got one of them. Cool. But if we get Rasyal Puig and then don't get a good pitcher, I'll be kind of pissed. That's not a, a big splash for a team that needs to do uh, the A to B thing. They need to move from A to B to B to, B to C. And Rasyal Puig doesn't move the meter for me right now. Last year in this short season, hell yeah, it would have been a great thing to do. But now. He set out for another year. Um, he has COVID. I don't know what the lasting effects of that for Yasiel Puig will be. He's not that dynamic of a player where you're like, okay, we got to go and sign this guy no matter what. And it seems like some of his players in this clubhouse don't jibe with him that much, but sometimes you need that. That's what we we say earlier that, you know, a little contention in the, the locker room, like an AJ Pruszynski you always just say, you know, other teams hate him and we hate him a little less. Sometimes that is good for a clubhouse to have a guy in they just a little red ass yeah. rubbing guys the wrong put, way. And put such. that so on my list maybe. to talk to
1: Joe Cowley about because that was one of the things he always mentioned is you guys, your guys in the clubhouse need guys to rally against. Like, this guy's a real asshole. Like, I'm going to go out and perform at my highest level in spite of that guy or to prove that mm-hmm. guy wrong. Like, I want to talk to him about that theory because I remember him saying for many years that the Sox had too many, like, choir boys in their locker room. You know what I mean? And, like, when, once you got Carl Everett out of there, it was, like, a different team and they were, like, too nice and they had no edge. You know what I mean? So I, I want to talk about that with Joe Colley among other things. But, yeah, the Puig thing, I worry about what a year out of baseball will do to a guy like that When you when you talk about some of the other right fielders that are on the free agent market and guys that will be available for trade. Like, If I was a GM, I'd probably be more inclined to to go after a guy like Nomar Mazzara than than Puig because Puig is so much of an unknown at this point. Uh, Then again, going into the year, I would have thought differently. But you know, right now, like that's a little different. But yeah, I appreciate the question, uh, Robbie. Uh, That was something we were very high on in spring of 2020, but uh, after the season, not so much. Now we have a little bit higher standards than than Yasiel Puig. But if you know. uh, if the Sox go out and sign Trevor Bauer and they're like, you know what? Uh, we don't really have a lot of money left over for George Springer. i am like, alright, cool. Yasiel Puig will fill a hole for you in right field. But mm-hmm. but uh, again, then we talked about the Adam Engel factor and how you may be better off just having uh, high-caliber defense out there. We saw that with Giolito's no-hitter and what solid defense out there can do for you. So, I, I think, you know, I've, I've moved moved on past Yasiel Puig. I think if they were going to sign him, last year would have been the year to do it, and it never materialized. So, I, I, don't, I don't think you'll be seeing that on the south side Anytime soon. But nonetheless, Robbie, appreciate your email out there in Portland. Uh, next one coming in from uh, Joey Donuts. Uh, first timer checking in. Love to see it. Uh, first time checking in, says Joey, but here's my crazy trade. I'll preface this. It's always troublesome when they have to preface it. I'll preface this by saying I have no idea why the Brewers would want to trade Woodruff, but I'm taking my I'm taking
0: Before we get started with this, Remember last week, it's got to have some pain, some pain to you as a personal feeling like, ah, oh, that hurt hurts, but I also want that guy. And you're starting with Brandon Woodruff. Tough, but go
1: ahead, honey. <laughs> uh, I'm taking my lead from the rumors at the trade deadline that the Sox were engaged in talks for Woodruff. Here's my offer. Dylan Cease, Danny Mendick, and Jonathan Hi. Stever, Hi. and Micah Adolfo for Brandon Woodruff. <laughs> Okay, he's, Joey says this, Woodruff will be turning 28 soon and has four years left of control. He's trending towards being a 4-plus F4 guy in a 180-innings-plus pitch season. In his last 194-innings pitch across 2019 and 2020, he's been a 5.4 F4 stud. He would, not, he would slot nicely behind Giolito in the rotation and for a good chunk of this winning window. The Brewers will get a crack at fixing Cease, but also get three other guys who are all Major league ready. I don't know about that. Their current ownership seems to follow the Kenny Williams mold of retooling but never rebuilding. Gold Glove nominee Danny Mendick could immediately take over the third base job that is currently vacant, and Stever and Adolfo could be called up at any point in 2021 to help out the Brewers club. I think Woodruff is seriously on the table. The Sox need to look strongly into this. Even if the Brewers want younger pitching prospects, the Sox have those too. And Kelly, Dahlquist, and Thompson, all of whom I would part for in a Woodruff trade. Thanks, and stay frosty. I don't know what that means, but I like frosties. Uh, Joey Donuts. All right, Joey. Where all right, Herb? Where do you want to begin to pick apart this logic? I love where your where your heart's at here, trying to get premium starting pitching talent uh, at, at minimal cost. Uh, but where where do we want to pick this apart and say why this is not going to be a thing?
0: Multiple <laughs> places. Brandon Woodruff will be 28 in February, so this whole year, 28, 29, 30, 31, prime years, a top of the rotation, at least the angles to a top-of-the-rotation pitcher was deadly. I mean, we saw what he did versus the White Sox last year. Him and that other guy they have on that team were just filthy. I forgot the other guy's name. Jose eventually hit a home run off of the guy, but he was doing some filth up there. Um, I'll get his name in a second. But, yeah, this is this is not going to happen. You've got to throw real people in there. There's no pain in that. You give up on Dylan Cease, but you get four years of an actual major league pitcher, everybody would be like, what's going on there? That doesn't add up because Dylan Cease is good. He's not Brandon Woodruff good. And then you're throwing in uh, a utility player in Danny Mendick. They can get that anywhere. Jonathan Stever is the fifth-rated prospect, or he might have moved up since people are going to graduate from that list. So Robert and Madrigal are both going to graduate from this. So maybe the third uh, prospect in the White Sox list good start, but I think you need to go a little further. And the fourth guy, he wanted to give up. Michael Rodolfo is a nothing. He's not even going to make it in the major leagues, I don't think. He's been in the minors so long, I don't think he'll eventually make it. He's got the physical tools, but his bat is not playing right now. He had a whole year off of organized ball. Yeah, you say he went down to the facility. whatever. That's tough. But yeah, Brandon Woodruff, hmm, it's going to be really hard to pry that away from the Brewers. I don't know why the Brewers would want to give away a guy with four years left, anyways. Like if this is a second or third, or uh, uh, he's got one more year or two years left in his deal, I can get there. But no, he's under control till 2025. Here he becomes a free agent. So yeah, no.
1: that's that's not how uh, teams in that market size operate. Just parting with you, you know premium young pitching talent, like that's when they try to like. Uh, seize those opportunities and build around uh, those guys with you know with defense and contact hitting to try to maximize those those pitchers being in your in your system. Is the guy you're thinking of Josh Lindblom? We saw him Lindblom. against the, the White Sox. He was the guy that pitched in the KBO in 2019, but he just had oh, filthy gosh. stuff when he went against the White Sox. That's a guy that I that I like from the Brewers. He was only two and four with a .2 WAR in 2020, but I love the stuff. Uh, Lots of movement, and he's kind of been all all over the place a little bit uh, with the Pirates in 2017 and then uh, spent two years in the KBO and then, of course, with the Brewers last year. But, yeah, they've got a lot of solid arms. Corey Knable.
0: It was uh, Corbin Burns, the guy I was thinking of. Yeah. That's the guy that Abreu hit a home run off of, rocket shot. Like, early in the game, striking everybody out. And then I think it was a 10-pitch at bat, and Abreu eventually hit the game-time home run off Corbin Burns, and I was like, that is a tough at bat. And that's a tough pitcher. He had to finish with a 2.11 ERA this year. So yeah, he was really good the whole year.
1: And also another thing about this, this whole premise of you know quote unquote fixing Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease is not a guy that needs to be unlocked or fixed or change of scenery. I mean, look, this is a guy he's a young kid who's still learning how to pitch at the big league level. Now he may not be on our timeline. With the with the window, and he may not be where we want him to be at at this point in time. But it takes time for, for pitchers to develop and figure out who they are. Uh, you know, as as people out there on the mound, like the the demeanor. Uh, how to pitch in situations and figure out what stuff is working for them, what stuff doesn't work, you know, uh, get experience uh, of facing guys in the league a few times and learn guys, tendencies and learn your own tendencies and how to sort of counter scout that. So like this whole premise of Dylan Cease is a lost cause and needs to be fixed somewhere else. Like I don't, I don't buy into that. I think we could see a big year from Dylan cease this year uh, in a much, you know, longer season, more expanded season, more starts, more opportunities to learn out there and grow on the mound. Like I'm still high on Dylan Cease. He's he's got the stuff. You know, he just just needs a little bit more seasoning. You know, location and learning. You know how to pitch, and that comes with time and experience. So just look at Lucas Giolito, man. Like a different pitcher, and you want to think with Ethan Katz coming in, like he'll be able to help uh, Dylan Cease as well. So like I, I'm not in the in the the camp that it says Lucas or that uh, Dylan Cease is a lost cause. Now, as far as this trade. I I would I beg to differ with your stance uh about how Mike Adolfo and Jonathan Stever are major league ready. I think just because you saw Jonathan Stever in major leagues in twenty twenty, that doesn't mean he could be on a roster starting for you in meaningful games in twenty twenty one. i I don't think you know any of us would would have say that we liked what we saw out of Jonathan Stever, but nonetheless, still very highly regarded young guy, you know, only pitched in single A, I believe before he made his debut with the White Sox. It was kind of an unconventional move. Maybe, you know, many people thought they were possibly showcasing him at the time, but I don't think that's a guy who you can pencil in, even lightly, um, uh, in your rotation in 2021. I think that'd be jumping the gun a little bit. And, you know, ultimately, ultimately, what you said about Mike Rodolfo, I agree with as well. This is not a guy who looks like. You know, especially without a season of 2020 to to look at with with the sample size there, it's a non-existent. We don't know where he's at. You know, this is a guy that could come in in spring training and, and light it up and be like, "Oh, this guy took a step, and this guy did all the things that they asked of him when he wasn't allowed to play." So that could be a guy that maybe is taking the step to the next level. But as far as where we last left off with Mike Rodolfo, not so much. He was struggling, and we talked about that glut of outfield prospects the Blake Rutherford's uh, the Mike Rodolfo's the guys that just hadn't taken that next step yet to to knock on the door you know I don't know how many uh, euphemisms I can mix up here but he wasn't there yet basically is what I'm saying so you know it very well could be that this could be one of those years uh, that he turns the page and finally takes it to the next level but I, I wouldn't count on that and if I'm Uh, in the Milwaukee Brewers scouting department I'm not counting on that he certainly looks the part he looks like a like a young Sammy Sosa out there you know what I mean kind of you know very strong kid and you you know you think that it's going to be in there but uh, as of yet he has not been able to put those tools into action uh, with the White Sox uh, farm system so but we appreciate the emails always checking in I'd love to have Corey Knable or uh, Josh Lindblom or uh, the the guy you just mentioned, I'd love to have uh, Corbin Burns. He, yeah, Corbin Burns. Yeah, I'd love to have any of those guys in Milwaukee. Brandon Woodruff, uh, obviously, but you know, I, I don't know if that uh, deal is going to happen. And I think Corbin maybe Burns
0: really good on L.A. Law. I Major think League of it, I think of it
1: every time they say his name. Uh, but yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but we appreciate you, Joey. Don't let that stop you from checking in the next time, okay? Just cuz we shot that down, keep them coming, okay? Let's keep 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 spitballing here and maybe we will we'll find a deal that works for the White Sox. Um next one coming up here, the final one here on Mailbag Monday. This is from Mike in Portage Park, Mike says, hope you guys are well. We're not. Uh, mentally, for sure, we're not well. Uh, <laughs> wanted to find out from you both, what is the next, what is the one Sox fan trait or behavior that you dislike the most? For example, for me, the most obvious is the Cubs' hate, which is beyond old at this point. Another one is wanting of past Sox players like A.J. Prezinski, Jim Tomy, or Paul Canerco to be the next manager of the Sox. In parentheses, he puts this is prior to the Larusa La hiring and something I've seen over the years. I couldn't believe all the comments I saw from fans that were clamoring for this. I'm sure there are, there's a lot we can list, but interested to see what irks you uh, the most with your fellow White Sox fans. That's Mike in Portage Park. Thank you, Mike uh, Herb. What uh, irks you the most uh, about the whole White Sox fandom?
0: I mean, I can go along with him with the Cubs thing. Like at all last year. All last year, Tim would do something. Chicago's best shortstop. And and yo, I would do something. Chicago's best third baseman. I get it. We've been second fiddle for a long time. And guess what? We're going to be that even when we win a World Series again. You've already experienced that. 2005. Won a World Series. Didn't seem like uh, we jumped up ahead of the Cubs. So this inferiority complex that we have... And every single time we got to do something well as the White Sox. I think forgetting the Cubs, not just because we don't play them that much. It's because we're past that. We're not just in the, in this conversation to compete with the Cubs. We're past the Cubs. We're a national team now. So if you want to talk about the Cubs when we're playing them, cool, smooth. Um, If you want to, say man we are one of the top teams in the majors awesome but like to bring up cub stuff when the white Sox do well it just i don't i don't get it like why like why would you bring up cub things while you're celebrating your mans like that doesn't make any sense at all it just irritates me so much just celebrate him for being a great shortstop. He's not the best shortstop in Chicago, just that. He is one of the best shortstops in the majors. Stop limiting him. Saying that same thing about Abreu and Rizzo. Saying that same thing about Moncada and Bryant. Can we just stop it? We don't like when they play. Awesome. Let's do it. Let's battle. Let's, fi- let's fight it out. But I just don't care about it. And <laughs> see, this is the thing too, Tanny. I was I think I was not in town. Yeah, wasn't in town when the Cubs won the World Series.
1: Oh, so I
0: was (laughs) on Twitter. I was seeing all these people who I consider White Sox fans, and one of some of the best White Sox fans, cheering for the goddamn Cleveland Indians to win the World Series. The Indians, the team that we battle for the Central, the team that we hate, the team that dominated us in the '90s and early 2000s. So, like, and they're cheering. Got the red and blue pom poms out for the Indians. Not the Cubs. It was just so ludicrous. Like, no. And people are asking me why am I rooting against the Royals in the World Series? Because fuck the Royals. That's why. (laughs) I'm rooting for the Giants and the Mets when they were in there. No. Whenever those other teams make it, you gotta root against them. And to to have your Cub hatred usurp your Cleveland Indian hatred is ridiculous to me. Just ridiculous.
1: Well said. I, I will say this though, in re- regards to the whole Chicago's best shortstop thing. Like, we all know the Cubs are basically the darlings of the baseball world. You know, they, they they don't have like, it's it's a weird thing, right? Because it seems like at least here, living in Chicago, we have a biased opinion. But it seems like they're more popular. than than the Yankees if you go on social media during baseball season. Like, you know, all the clips you would see of Javi Baez literally doing anything uh, just, you know, shoved down your throat from – 2015 to, to current day, basically, and Sox fans had to look at that and have to, to sort of just suck it up and be like, okay, enough of this stuff already. So finally, when the Sox fans, they have their guy that they can go out there and tout and, and stump for publicly, Like I I, I, don't, I don't besmirch them from from do, playing that angle of it because you're starting to see a little bit of a shift here. The Cubs are going to be selling off parts this offseason, and the Sox are going to hopefully Acquiring parts, so you're seeing that the two franchises going in different directions. So I don't I, I don't begrudge Sox fans for leaning into it and praising their guys and you know taking shots at the Cubs while they're supposedly on their way down. You know, you never know what the season will bring, but it certainly seems like the window for them is closing. So I, I don't begrudge them doing any of that because when the Sox were selling off parts and the Sox are going through the rebuild, like you saw a little bit of that from, from the north side of town, you know, taking shots here or there, and you know that it's definitely still there if you watch the last three games of the season against the Cubs the Wilson Contreras bat flip. Like they were sick of that shit too. Like they realized that the White Sox are on the come up and that they hated the fact that the Sox took two or three at Wrigley. And so they had it it was fresh on their mind to really put a, a, a pounding to the White Sox. So like you used to then you saw all that on social media, like all of a sudden Wilson Contreras's bat flip was the most amazing thing you ever seen. But it seemed to me it was it was awesome and I love a bat flip, but it seemed a little forced uh, from a guy who people often say, just, all right enough already, Wilson Contreras. Um, But, you know, I agree with you generally on pretty much all of that about the the little brother mentality. And I thought that it was going to be gone for good after 2005. But it's faded away a little bit for a few years there when all of a sudden Sox fans realized, oh, it's just about winning World Series. Because the Cubs were historically bad in terms of the history of their franchise in 06, um, in 05 and 06. 06 was a really bad year. I think they lost 100 games. But in 06, the Sox were defending champions, and they were filling the ballpark, and the Cubs had nothing to do with it. Of course, you did have the brawl there uh, with... Uh, with uh, you know Rich Hill and AJ and Michael Barrett, you had all that. But generally speaking, Sox fans were in their own world of of, of pure bliss, where it only mattered what the, your team was doing, and they really didn't think much about the Cubs. And I think that's been the White Sox' main issue. And in feeding into that culture of 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 little brotherdom is the fact that their teams have been trash for largely the, over the last twenty years. So the the Sox fans have nothing else to do but compare themselves. Uh, to the Cubs, especially when when neither team is doing well, they just sort of look at it and be like, okay, well at least we're not doing as bad as they are today. You know, the Cubs could be in first place, but they you know lose two to one to the Cardinals, and all of a sudden the Sox fans are out here chirping. It's dumb, but it's I think it's mainly just because the Sox haven't had competitive teams, so you got to have something. But I, I agree with you though. I generally don't like it. I hate when you're at a Sox game and you know they have the 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 out of town scoreboard out there in the outfield and it's kind of a, you know, the games that you're watching with the Sox is not really that interesting, or maybe you're in between innings, or maybe there's just a pitching change, but you see the scoreboard change for the Cubs and whoever they're playing, and you hear the murmurs of the people in the crowd, like, oh, you see that? I'll take this. You see what happened to the Cubs game? Ah, they lost. <laughs> it's like, why do you care? You're at a, you're at a baseball game. you you got some of the finest food here that the, uh, the league has to offer, and you're at supposedly one of your favorite places on Earth, and we're talking about how the Cubs blew a, a late lead to the Cincinnati Reds or something like that. It's, it's absurd like I wish they wouldn't even put the Cubs score on the out of town scoreboard but then that in itself would be like a little brother mentality so I, I, yeah, I can't have it both ways I suppose but like just I hate that aspect of it too and I hate the fact that uh, White Sox fans generally speaking like it's very much um, like a, 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 a no homers club you know as far as the uh, Simpsons reference you know <laughs> as far as you know not letting anyone else in we should be Openly accepting candidates to the to the bandwagon right now, and there's not a lot, there's not many, especially after the Tony La Russa hire. But w- we should be a little bit more inclusive as to who we're letting in, and try to try to uh, use this this window, this championship window, to acquire more fans who may be on the edge. And I think generally as a fan base, we as Sox fans don't do a great job of being welcome, welcoming because we're so negative on social media all the time and we're so busy. We're, we're supposedly like we're hating the team that we supposedly love so much, you know, and every move is, is met with, ugh, what a terrible move. Or every time they don't land a free agent, it's like, Oh, the Sox blew it again. Like, it just seems like from the outside, like, why would you want to be a part of that? If you're a fan on the fence or if you're, uh, you know, maybe a kid, who is like you know too young to, to really vividly remember the Cubs World Series? Like you know you're you're a kid that's like maybe nine or ten years old, right there on the cusp of when you become a baseball fan and you start to pick your allegiances. Like why would anyone want to be associated with the uh, with that toxic culture of a fan base? Like the way that we all act on social media at times with the White Sox because they're such a frustrating team from the top down. So I, I get it, but generally speaking, you know I don't know if all fan bases act that way on social media, or if it's just Sox Twitter, but I think you know, we know that the Sox Twitter, the Sox social media, very active engagement. Despite the the smaller portion of the pie that Sox fans take up in terms of fandom, we know that they're an active fan base and they're a vocal fan base. But I, I think as if from an outsider when you look at that you say, "Oh man, that's that's a family with some problems." Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you when you look at uh, you know one of your friends' families and their parents are fighting all the time and they're always like you know in the involved in some drama. I think that's how other fan bases probably see us. So I think that's one thing that Sox fans can improve on, just being a little bit more welcoming to others and being a more pleasant uh, welcoming environment for for different people to come and enjoy your your baseball team. So I, I, I could be off base on that. That's just what I what I believe. Uh, because I take part in some of it sometimes, so I, I can uh-huh. speak from some experience, but yeah, just just the whole little brother mentality I think for for the white sox, and hopefully some sustained success over the next five years will change that a little bit because I think it will. I think when your team is good on the field you 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 look at things differently and you and you tend to focus on only what matters, and that's just winning games on the field and hopefully hoisting the uh, the commissioner's trophy the, the that piece of metal at the end of the year so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that that about sums it up uh, there. For thank you, Mike, for for checking in. It's very complicated being a White Sox fan, as you know. So I hope that answers your question. But it, it's we pretty much are lockstep on that one. So
0: yeah, I I agree with you right there. I I love Sox fans. Uh, I know we spent some time last year, and it's well, it's not even last year. It's early this year. Jesus Christ! Uh, <laughs> in January at Reggie's and. Getting to meet everybody, you know, putting faces to names that you met on Twitter um, was really good, and the camaraderie. You know, we didn't get to finish that off, you know, because we're gonna, you know, celebrate another one the next month, and then do another one maybe uh, when they started the season off in, in, Mar- in early March or late March, and have like a tailgate, and that got ruined by COVID. Uh, hopefully, we can all convene. We're all different races, sizes, creeds, colors, boys, girls, everybody coming together, and all that other stuff—the extra stuff that make makes us all melts away when we're out there trying to root on our White Sox. Because then we root, we put our ire and uh, focus our our meanness to the White Sox on the field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, saying, th- saying the manager's fucking up and take that picture out, and it's all a common bond. And then we go home, we win, we have a joyous time, eat some delicious food, drink some delicious beer.
1: It's funny you mentioned that night at Reggie's, because I was thinking about it the other day, and that really seemed like, you know, to a counterpoint of literally everything I just said, uh, but that night at Reggie's seemed like it was a change in in the course of of the franchise and the fan base. It was like-minded individuals, White Sox enthusiasts who were supporting a positive cause and a positive team and positive vibes, Beb Matt Spiegel with with the franchise. And that seemed like it was going to be the first step in, in being a different fan base. I think like it was like, these are all, you know, it was a new generation of people. Like you look around the room, and it was all like young working professionals, like us. Even though we're not professional, uh, but people who have families now. People who grew up White Sox fans, whose whose you know parents may have been like sort of like the anti-Cub. You know, my, you know uh, my two favorite teams, the White Sox and whoever plays the Cubs. Like maybe they were raised by those people, but like but their kids are sort of see things differently. And, you know, it seemed like it was a a young group of those people who just wanted to appreciate what the the Sox were building there. And that was a beautiful night at Reggie's. And uh, funny you mentioned Reggie's because the other day uh, I was at uh, Bockwinkle's there and we ran into uh, WGN's Kevin Powell. Uh, and, and, uh, I, you know, I said, it's funny, you were one of the last people that I remember seeing, uh, in a public, uh, space in a public gathering at the Reggie's event. So maybe that was a good omen. Like seeing him, uh, what was it? Like 10 months later, uh, in downtown Chicago, I was like, maybe that's a good sign that things are uh, going to turn around in a positive manner. So yeah, we, I saw Kevin Powell there and it reminded me of that night in Reggie's. I was just, uh. Seems like forever ago. It was—it's certainly an entirely different world ago, and you know, it was funny because uh, White Sox Dave uh, w- was tweeting about Sox Fest and how it seemed like it was ages ago. And I, I tweeted to him that you know I thought when I was at Sox Fest 2020. I thought the craziest thing that I was going to see in 2020 was the Lego replica of guaranteed rate Field, <laughs> <And> boy, <laughs> Like, cause it was so detailed and they nailed every little aspect of it. and It was so cool. And I want to see where can I buy one of these and put it together and put it in my basement. Uh, I thought that was going to be the craziest thing I saw this year, but Oh no, 2020 had uh, many other plans. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, that's, that's all I got for this mailbag Monday. We're just rambling, but it's been a while since we've been with you guys. So, uh, thank you for being patient with us and listening to us, uh, Uh, rant and rave here about the Sox so uh, talk to us Tuesdays tomorrow Uh, so that should be fun it's part two we got a few more emails left to get to lots of uh, tender -tender, non-tender discussion coming your way with the the tender deadline uh, being Wednesday and also some news on James McCann we'll get to uh, in the Tuesday podcast as well so that's all I got tonight Herbie
0: and that's all we got here on Locked On Sox that is Chris Tannehill follow him on Twitter at Chris Tannehill my name is Herb Lawrence follow me at Ecknerwall23 on Twitter. The show is at Locked On Socks, both on Instagram and on Twitter. So, this has been Mailbag Monday on Locked On Socks.